Okay. So I'm just going to ask you to trust Cliff. That's why I'm here today. He cares about you. He wouldn't put somebody up here that he didn't think would be worthy for you to hear. Okay? If you want to know more about me, you can ask my wife, Laurie. She's here. Some of you may know her more than you know me. My son Jonathan's here. If you want to get the true story about me, they probably know more about me than anybody else. So that's who you want to talk to. But um, so as we go forward, it's still a little loud for me up here. I don't know about them out there. All right. But uh, I have five brothers. They're holding their ears up front. I have five brothers, and we're a very competitive lot. We've got um, a lot of things going on all the time and have been very competitive from, from day one. But as we do this, from time to time, we'll, we'll send, people, send each other things of what we're doing, where we are, to kind of impress them. So if, if you don't mind... I'm going to take a selfie this morning, because if they could see me up here on this stage and see that I'm, I'm speaking to you this morning, it might just be something that could uh, help me out in the competition level. So if, if everybody, let me just, everybody smile so I get everybody in the picture. Oh, I have to do two, because I get this side. All right, and everybody on this side, I want y'all to smile over here. Good, gotcha. Okay, let me check those out. They look good. Eyes are open. Smiles. Let me just send those to my brothers. All right. Two of them are preachers, so their their phone's probably buzzing on their on their pulpit right now, because <laughs> they have pulpits. We have tables and chairs. They have pulpits, because they go to one of those traditional churches, you know, where they sing hymns and the organ. You know, they've got all that. Um, so. They just don't understand what kind of church the church ought to be, like ours. They're the old stuffy ones that uh, are, are way stuck back in history, and just how could they be doing anything for God the way they're doing it? They need to understand how we do it here, where we sing the music like we do here. We wear blue jeans. But, you know, when they look at that and they know that, they say, how can you wear blue jeans to church? What a disgrace. When we look at people like that, if I were to look at my brothers really that way, it would be a wrong way to look at them. It's an obstructed view because I don't know their whole story. I don't know what all goes on in their church. Yeah, I know they wear suits and ties and dresses and, and they sing hymns, but they love Jesus. And they're doing things that are good for their community. They're reaching out for Christ. So I shouldn't look at them with my obstructed view of the way I think worship ought to be. Same thing goes for them when they look at us. We don't want them looking at us and judging us by that obstructed view because they've never even been here. They don't know what it's all about. And when I try to explain it to them, it, they really don't get it anyway. So they don't judge me by that. And we shouldn't judge each other that way. Too many times it's that obstructed view is how we, we make our judgments on people. We see something. And if what we really need to see is behind something, there's an obstructed view. We can't see what is really on the other side. But even at that point, we start analyzing it. We make some assumptions that really is what is behind it. Even though we can't see it, we assume we know what's behind it. And then we make a judgment about it. When we do that with people, we really get into trouble. When we start analyzing people because we don't know their true story... And we make assumptions about who they are and what they're doing, then that's when we get into trouble. 
because we'll make judgments and there'll be misjudgments on people. So this morning, I don't want us to do that because I've got some friends that people have judged all down through the ages, and I'm bringing them out here today. Although one of them, I told he didn't want to come out, so he's going to stay back there today. But the others, my first friend over here, he's standing tall and straight as these speakers over here. And he is so proud to stand tall because there was a time in his life when his legs would not hold him. There was a time when, when he was paralyzed and all he could do was sit. He could not help himself up. He always had to have someone to help him. And if he had no one to help him, he was just there. He couldn't, he couldn't do anything. Then I've got another friend. He likes to sit up front and center. So I'm going to put his chair right up here, let him sit right up there. And what he's going to do, he's, he's so proud of who he is and what God has made him. God has done great things in his life, and he sits right up front, and he wants everybody to know about it. So I'm going to let my friend sit up here so you can see him sitting, sitting right here so you can see what God has done. My other friend back here, he doesn't want to come out because people have judged him. Probably the most judged person in the neighborhood. And he just he doesn't like to be around people because of what they think about him. So we're going to let him stay back there. Now, these three friends are going to help us know what to do with obstructed views. We're going to look at each one's story, because if we can see more about their story, we'll know more about them, see how they handled the obstructed view, and then what we can do with it. So I'm going to read some scripture to you. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll open them up to the Gospel of John, John chapter 5. We're going to read, starting with verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there, this is my friend, the lame man. He's standing tall and strong today, but there was a day he didn't. When he was lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. So Jesus healed him immediately right then. And the man took up his bed, and what happened next was there was a crowd of people there at this place. And when they, got, when they saw what was happening, they wanted to know what was going on because they knew this man had been lame for so long. They wanted to see what, what was going on. And so Jesus didn't want to be in the midst of that crowd and get caught up in that. He slipped away. But he didn't leave the man. He didn't just leave him there after being healed. The man took up his bed, started walking, and he went to the temple. So Jesus finds him there at the temple. So look at verse 14. Drop down to that. And it said, Afterwards... Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. All right, let's look back at that story in detail. Here's the man sitting at the Pool of Bethesda. That's where it was. Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a purpose. His purpose was to see that man. Jesus never did anything by accident. He was intentional. Like he went to the woman at the well. He was going through Samaria to get to where he was going. That's not a normal route for people to take, but he knew there was a well at Sychar that he was going to meet somebody there, and when he did, 
that lady knew more about herself than she ever did before because Jesus knew all about her. He knew that, that she had five husbands and she was living with her boyfriend now and because of that relationship that, that he started with her there, she knew the love of Christ and went and had the greatest revival that area had ever seen. It was because Jesus intentionally went there. It wasn't where he was ultimately going. He was going to Jerusalem, but for that moment, that's where he was. He was going to Galilee. Why did he go to Galilee? Well, it was to, to do some other things, but intentionally to meet an official. This official had a sick child, and the official told him, if you just speak the word, then my son will be healed. And he did. He didn't have to go to where his son was. He went to where the official was. Jesus was an intentional in everything he did. And so when he came to the pool of Bethesda, there was a multitude of lame, blind, paralyzed, infirmed people there. Tradition has it that this pool <clears throat> that was there in Jerusalem, it was a big colonnade place, had five roofs around it, lots of people there, that the tradition had it that a that an angel would come down, stir the waters, the first person that got into the water would be um, healed of their infirmities. Well, here's the blind man. He wanted to be healed, so he was sitting there <clears throat> by the pool of Bethesda, just waiting for the waters to be stirred. Now, for some reason, he wasn't sitting right beside the waters. What I would do if I was that lame man, I'd be sitting like this, and this would be the pool, and I'd, be, I'd already be in it. But for some reason, he was, he was away from it and, and waiting for this to happen. Jesus came up to him, and what did Jesus ask him? Do you want to be healed? What kind of question is that? This man hadn't walked in 38 years, and the Bible tells us that Jesus knew that. The man didn't tell him that. Jesus already knew it. And he asked him, do you want to be healed? Well, it really was a good question because obviously the man didn't have an answer for it. Did you see how he answered it? He said, well, you don't understand. I can't get into the waters when the waters are stirred. I have no one to take me there. That's not what Jesus asked him. Can you get to the water? He asked him, do you want to be healed? He could not see who was standing right in front of him. He was so concerned about his disability that it obstructed his view of himself. He couldn't see who he really was. All he could see was his disability, and that's who he thought he was. I can't be healed. That's all I am. That's all that I, all who I am. So the lame man's disability obstructed his view of himself. And as he sits there, Jesus pays no attention to what his story is because he already knows it. He says, get up and walk. So what did the man do? Immediately he was healed and he stood up and started to walk. When, if he had known who was in front of him all the time, he would have jumped at that chance right then. But because of his obstructed view, he didn't know who it was. Jesus knew him. He had compassion on him and he had the power to heal him. That's what he does for you too. He knows you. He knows all about you. He knows the good and the bad. He knows what you're thinking. He knows the thoughts that go by real fast that you hope nobody else knows. He's, he knows everything about you, and he has compassion towards you. He knows what you have as a disability. 
It may not be a physical one. It may. There may be an infirmity that you have that you're dealing with, but it may be something, a struggle that you have, a test that's before you every day of your life, a struggle that you deal with, and he knows what that is, and he has compassion on you and wants to help you through it. He has the power to help you through that, to help you live your life. He has the power to give you eternal life. And that's what this man needed. Not just a healing, but he had to go beyond that. So he didn't just heal him and leave him. Even though at that moment he did, he went and found him. If we ever feel like we need to help people out, we ought not go to the point where we just help them at their immediate need and then leave them. If that's the case, we truly don't love them. If Jesus had just healed this man who had been there for 38 years just for a few good years of good health, it would not have been compassionate because he had a greater problem. He had a sin problem. It's a problem that we all have. We all have our other infirmities and disabilities that we're working on, but we all have this sin problem. So Jesus healed the man, and so that he didn't get caught up with all the others because he wasn't coming to heal all of them, he left. Now let me pause just long enough to say something about this. There were hundreds of people who needed healing that day. Jesus looked at one and healed the one. And so we ask, why didn't he heal all of them? He could have, but that's not why he came. He did not come just to help people in their infirmities. That's part of why he came, but his ultimate thing was to deal with the sin issue, the sin problem, and that's what he was focused on. So this healing did not have to do with just about the healing. It had to deal with this man's holiness. He found him at the temple, and he looks at the man, and he says, you're looking good today. Now go and sin no more so that nothing worse will happen to you. Now think about that. He's telling the man to stop sinning. That We don't have to assume that the sinning is what made him lame. But we do know that Jesus told him to stop sinning so that he was sinning before that. Sinning for the 38 years he had been there. How can a lame man sin? What kind of sin can he get into? Well, obviously a good bit. And a lot of it has to do with our minds and how we see the world and how we view people and judge people and think things in our head, think thoughts in our, in our head. And so the sin is there, and Jesus tells him to go and sin no more. Not so that you'll be lame again, but so that something worse. Now, what could be worse than 38 years of paralysis? How about perishing eternally in hell? Jesus was concerned and had compassion over his 38 years of paralysis, but he had more compassion for the man's soul. And he says, that's good, you're looking good today, but that's really not my ultimate concern. I want you to go and sin no more. Now, Jesus didn't tell him to do that and just leave him. He didn't say, all right, now you have to be perfect or something worse is going to happen to you. No, that's not what he was saying. Go and sin no more because you have a relationship with me. 
There was a time when you couldn't walk. But now, because I have healed you, you can walk. And now let's walk together. And walking together in this relationship that we have, that you didn't even know me before, now you know me, you can walk with me, and that will keep you from sinning. Not that he has to do it on his own, but now he's walking with Jesus. When he was lying there, he didn't know Jesus. Now, how do I know that? If you read those verses that I skipped there, it says, when he went to the temple, the Jews asked him, who told you to take up your mat and walk? Because this was the Sabbath. He wasn't supposed to do that. He said, I don't know who he was. Man just healed me and told me to get up and walk, so I did. He didn't know who Jesus was. The second time Jesus meets him at the temple, tells him you're looking well, go and sin no more unless something worse happens to you. That's pretty much the conversation. Jesus didn't tell him, my name is Jesus, so follow me. He doesn't say that. But after Jesus left him then, he goes and finds those Jews and tells them it was Jesus because he knew who he was. He had an obstructed view of himself. He was looking at his disability and could not see Jesus. But now when he got a perfect view of who he really was, that Jesus knew him, had compassion on him, had power to help him in his life, then he could see Jesus, see who he really is. So get that obstructed view out of your life. If you're focused in on your own disability, you won't see who you really are. You'll think that's who you are. You'll tell yourself, I'm not worthy. I'm stuck with this. This is my lot in life. When Jesus is standing before you and saying, I can help you with that. If you just quit looking at that and see me, we'd get through this. I'll help you through it. So think about that this morning. What is it that's got an obstructed view of who you are? Do you know that Jesus knows you, has compassion for you, and has the power to help you? Now let's look at my second friend, the one who sits up front. His, his story is in Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 18, and we'll start with verse 9. He also told this parable, Jesus told this parable, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So this is the purpose of the parable we're about to hear, that he was telling it to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So my friend, the Pharisee, who sits up here, he prays a prayer that he wants everybody to hear, everybody to see, and he tells God that he is thankful 
that he is righteous, that he is a moral person. He thanks God that he doesn't cheat people, he doesn't cheat on his wife, he's just with all that he does. He is a good person, and we have no reason to doubt that. But I want you to look at it as how he presents that. He says, I thank you, God, that you have made me this way. So he's not saying the goodness in me is on my own doing. God, you've done that. And even beyond that, beyond his morality, his goodness, he says, I'm a religious person. I'm devout. I fast. I tithe. Just like many of you have done this morning, that tithe. God, you've taught me to do that. So what is his problem? Why does Jesus use him as an example of the wrong way to do it? He's thanking God that he is righteous. But his obstructed view of Jesus keeps him from seeing himself. He has an obstructed view of what Jesus really came for and what he was all about. Jesus didn't come to make us good people. Jesus didn't come to make us righteous. He came that we might trust in him and his work on the cross. This is considered Palm Sunday in the church calendar. This is the Sunday before the crucifixion. This is the Sunday that Jesus comes in to Jerusalem. And he's riding on a donkey, and they're spreading out the palm leaves before him. And so he walks over that. It's a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They had an obstructed view of why Jesus was coming. They wanted him to be the king. They wanted him to take over. They wanted him to, to make things right here on this earth, to set up his kingdom now. That's not why he came. He came for what this Friday represents, the crucifixion. God made him sin who knew no sin for our sake so that we might find our righteousness in him, not in ourselves, not in what we do and how we treat others or how we, religious we are, but it's in him and in the cross, and that's the only thing we need to look to. It's the only thing we can look to on the basis of our salvation. So when it comes to the time when we face God and he's wanting to know, why should I let you into my heaven? My friend the Pharisee is going to say, is because you have made me righteous. You have made me a good person. I treat others well. You've taught me to tithe and to, and to fast, and I follow those rules you have made me righteous, and I thank you for that, so I want to enter your kingdom. And God will say, no, that won't get you here. It's not in your righteousness that you enter. And I feel like I have been in both of these places. Times when I have looked at my own disability and said, I'm not worthy. I can't get there. But then I realized Jesus wants to help me. And I accept that, and we're moving, we're walking with Jesus, but there comes a time when I walk away from him because I start looking and, and, and thinking, what does he really want from me? 
He wanted me to be good and an example so everybody can look at me and see what good I am. And I sit in this seat just as the Pharisee does and say, look at me. I'm a good person. God made me good. And you ought to be like me. We can't rest in that. Don't think you're going to make it into heaven because of that. I want you to grasp this concept. That what God wants for you is not that you become a good person, but that you trust wholly in Jesus Christ, not in your own righteousness. Not even that righteousness you say comes from God. That's only part of it. God does make us good. He does have instructions for us how to live, and we're doing that. But if we get caught up in that, we're going to make that the basis of our salvation. And that's not going to get us there. It's when we look at my third friend. He's too ashamed to come out here because he is the most judged person. He has no obstructions at all. No obstructed view of who he is. He knows he's not worthy, not worthy to even stand in the presence of anyone here. But yet, he has no unobstructed view of Jesus either. He knows what Jesus wants to do for him. And he asks for that mercy. And that's where we need to be. Like my friend the tax collector. He has done wrong. But we don't know his story. We don't know why he had to become a tax collector and what his family situation is and what drove him to do the things that he does and how he has cheated people in the past and how he's taken money away from them deceitfully. But he understands that's who he is. Comes before God. Not before anybody else, but just before God and says, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the only thing that's going to get us into heaven. It's the only thing that's going to help us while we're here on this earth. That we understand that, yes, I am unworthy. I, I, there are things wrong with me. I do carry infirmities and disabilities and, and my sinful nature, and I do want to take those selfies, and I am a selfish person. But God, have mercy on me. Don't let me stay that way. Work on me. Help me. Walk with me. Give me the power to live through this life because one day is what we're looking forward to. We get so caught up in what's happening in this world that we forget that this ain't all there is. There's something greater that we're looking to. Yes, when Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, there were hundreds of people who needed his help there, but that's not why he came. But he healed this one as a symbol of what will be one day. When he came the first time to this earth, it was to deal with our sin nature. Yes, to help us to know that he was sin for us. He was taking that and we look to him, not to ourselves, but to him. So that one day, all will be healed. All will be able to walk, to see, to hear. All our infirmities, all our bad habits, all the things that we deal with here, the tests and the trials that we face every day, are all going to be gone. And that's what we look forward to. So every day you get up, it is dealing with your sin nature. What does Jesus want to help you with? 
Yes, he wants to help you with your job. Yes, he wants to help you with your relationships with, with other people. Yes, he wants to help you with the things of this earth, but he wants you to know that it's about eternity, that he wants to help you with your sin. It's about not sinning. It's about doing what God wants me to do. When he told the man, go and sin no more, that's what he's telling us. Go and sin no more. Not being perfect because we get up and we sin. But we go back as the tax collector says, Lord, have mercy on me. Help me through this. Help me walk and deal with the sin nature, sin nature that I have. There's a two-part process here. The first is our salvation. That we look ultimately to the cross and the cross alone. Jesus Christ is the only thing that is, is going to get us into heaven. It's his righteousness that we're claiming not our own. That's our salvation. But we don't go directly to heaven once that happens. We do have to live it out on this earth. And so what do we do while we're here? We walk with God, continually asking Him to have mercy on us, help us with this sin nature, help us to go and sin no more. As we go and walk with Him, it gives us that hope of eternity. So this Easter season, if you have friends who you know are lost, invite them here next week. Not because coming here is something special. It's not in the coming here that they were going to be saved. But if they could meet Jesus and get that selfishness out of the way, to get a clear picture, not an obstructed view that they may have seen before, They've made assumptions about Jesus. But as they come here and hear a clear gospel message, they'll be able to accept Christ for who he is. This morning, I don't know where you stand. Are you with this first guy who's dealing with the infirmities, the disabilities, and that's who you see, that's how you identify yourself? Get that out of your view so you can see who you really are, a person known by Jesus, loved by Jesus and you'll see him standing there wanting to help you? Or are you the one who's seen Jesus, but you're not really sure what he wants you to do? You've seen him more as wanting to make you a good person while you're here, and that's what you're focused on, being that good person, rather than focusing in on how good he is. Let's get that straight today and realize that's where the answer is. And let's all be like the tax collector, asking for mercy. Mercy for our sake. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these stories from your word, these friends that I can tell about and how you worked in their lives. But Lord, I can tell it from personal experience because I've been in each of these situations myself. Father, thank you that you don't leave us to try to do it on our own. But you seek us out just as you sought that lame man out who's now walking in the temple. You went and found him to make sure he was secure in what you did for him. You healed him, but more than that, you wanted his holiness that only you could give. Help us to understand that, that when we do get that holiness, it is all about you and not about us. Father, this morning, whatever we might need to do to... to to make that thought process in our minds clearer, 
to get the obstructed view out of the way, I pray your spirit would help us do that. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name.